What's up, guys? Uh, my name's Colin. Uh, I'm on staff here with Salt Company. If you guys are new, just want to say welcome. If this is your first time, thank you guys for being here. I know it can be really hard to come to a place like this, especially if you're not familiar with, with a setting uh, quite like this one. And so thanks for being here. We're, I'm excited to be here with you guys um, tonight. I'm also really excited to, to start off a new series with you guys. So we're jumping into a new uh, four-week series called The Movement of God. And it's going to be in First Thessalonians. That's where we're going to be throughout the next uh, few weeks. I'm, I'm really excited for what God has in store for us um, in this series. And, and tonight we're going to kick off the series and we're going to kind of keep rolling what, um, what I feel like God's been stirring up in Salt Company. So if you guys have been around Salt Company recently, we had uh, Salt Summit and then Jordan preached a message in there on Matthew 28 on the Great Commission. And then last week, Stephen Jones came and he, and he preached a message about moving from being a fan to being a worker. And we got a, a window into what God's doing in the Salt Network. Right? We're talking a lot about missions, about going, about making your life worth living. And so now tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're talking about movement of God. We're talking about gospel movement. We're, we're going to keep going with that. But tonight, I'm hoping that we're going to land that a little differently um, in, in a unique way tonight with some uh, different application. So uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 1. So if you have a Bible, turn your Bible there. Um, also, I'm going to be going to Acts 17 a few times. I'm warning you now. So when you're like, hey, you keep flipping between Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians 1, I warned you. Um, so that's where we're going to be. Um, before I jump in, I'm going to give you guys a little context for this letter, this message. Paul writes a letter to the church at Thessalonica. That's why it's called 1 Thessalonians. Before Paul writes the letter, he visits the city of Thessalonica in 51 AD. And there he establishes the church, he preaches the gospel, and then because of persecution in the city, he's driven out and, and later gets an update on how this church is doing from his ministry partner, Timothy. So he gets an update from his ministry partner, Timothy, and then he writes a letter back to the church in response to the positive update that he got, which gives us 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to see that even though the church at Thessalonica was persecuted, right, that's why Paul was driven out in the first place, it becomes a hub for gospel movement. Even though the church was persecuted, it becomes a hub for gospel movement. The, the city itself is changed, and then the changed people in the city are sent, and the gospel moves far beyond the city limits. And, and why I'm going to be in Acts 17 is because Acts 17 documents Paul's missionary journey to the city of Thessalonica in the first place. So we're going to be jumping between the two. Um, before we jump in to what gospel movement is, what, what we have for you in gospel movement, what God has for you in gospel movement tonight, I want to prove to you that gospel movement took place here. Okay, so Acts 17, verse 6, second half of verse 6 to verse 7. These men who've turned the world upside down 
have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So these men who've turned the world upside down, something's happening. The people who aren't a part of the movement are saying something's happening in this movement. They're turning the world upside down. So the gospel's received in Thessalonica, but it doesn't stay in Thessalonica. Let's see how Paul describes this. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. I told you I was going to be flipping between the two. So that you, the people of Thessalonica, became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So the the gospel comes to this place. The gospel that turns the world upside down comes to this place, but it doesn't stay in this place. It leaves this place, and it goes to, to the ends of the earth from this place. Okay, so before we jump in anymore, we got to back up and ask ourselves, what is gospel movement? Like, I keep talking about gospel movement. What do I mean by gospel movement? Well, in order to answer that, in order to understand what gospel movement is, we have to understand the formula that God often uses in the Bible, but also in church history to create major movements of the gospel. Okay, this is the formula. The gospel is received in this place. And large number of people put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're like, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he was crucified, raised, and is now reigning. And the reigning Jesus makes them look at their own lives and say, my life is so riddled with sin, it does not honor the God that I say that I worship, and so I'm just going to start confessing. So it's a bunch of people starting to confess their sin, but not just confessing, repenting. Right? What's the difference between confessing and repenting? Confessing is saying, hey, I'm messed up. Repenting is saying, I don't want to live like that anymore. Okay, so you have a large number of people like this room standing up, talking to each other like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Yeah, this is what I'm struggling with. Yeah, this is what I'm struggling with. And I don't want to live like that anymore. And then those people are so radically changed that they begin to change the place where they're at. And then that place is so radically changed that the movement of the gospel spreads forth from there. It can't stay where it first is received. It goes out. So we see gospel movement happen in Thessalonica, and we see it happen throughout the course of church history. So the question we have to ask ourselves tonight is, does Salt Company, does this room have the DNA of gospel movement? Do the people in this room have the right makeup for God to use this room to spread the gospel everywhere? That's the question we're going to ask ourselves tonight, and we're going to see four characteristics of the church at Thessalonica. We're going to study those four characteristics and hopefully learn something from those four. So, 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So full transparency. I got my sermon outline from verse 5. So if you're a note taker, you want to know where we're going tonight, here's where we're going. The gospel movement, that internal gospel movement and external corporate gospel movement has four elements. It's received with words, received with power, received with conviction, received with the Spirit. 
So I'll say it one more time for the note takers. Received with words, received with power, received with conviction, received with the spirit. So first, the gospel is received with words. The gospel is a proclaimed gospel. It's not just a displayed gospel. So what do I mean by that? I mean the message of Jesus has to be a message that is articulated with our words. We need to speak the gospel message. And we see Paul does this, okay? We're going to go back to Acts 17. Told you we'd be flipping around. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So what did Paul do? Went to the place where everyone was hanging out. The religious center of the city. And he says, hey, the Jesus guy. This Jesus guy is the king you've been waiting for. He is the God man who came and lived And he lived perfectly, and then he died, and he died the sinner's death, and he was dead for three days, but then he didn't stay dead. He resurrected, he came back to life, and then he walked around the earth and appeared to many, and then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father, ruling. That's the message he proclaimed. And he said, you can know that God. He said, you can do life with that God. Life with God, you now have access to. That's what Paul says. And for some of you, that's what you need to hear tonight. All you need to hear tonight. Like, I want you to listen to the rest of the things that that God has for us tonight, but all you need to hear tonight is that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. You can have a relationship with him. That's that's the proclaimed gospel. But in order to know that gospel, the gospel has to be proclaimed. It can't just be displayed. So what do I mean by that? Here's how I thought about it. Um, You guys remember two weeks ago when it was mad cold, like crazy cold. You guys remember that? Yeah, okay, like one person remembers how cold it was. All of you are like, yeah, I burned it out of my memory. It was brutal. Um, Okay, so imagine two weeks ago when it's freezing cold and you go to check the weather. And how I was going to tell this story is I was going to say you turn on the news. No one turns on the news anymore. You look at your phone. So do I. Okay, so imagine if the weather app updated the app and instead of telling you how cold it was going to be, it showed you a picture of what it was going to look like outside. Okay, they're like, this is a really cool update. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. That's what they say. Okay, so you pull out your phone, you're like, hmm, it's below freezing because there's still ice. But there's kind of sun, it's like grayish outside. I'm an optimist, I'm going to say, hmm, give or take 25 degrees. Okay, here's the issue is you're off by 55 degrees because it was negative 30. And you know what 55 degrees, like you know the difference between 25 and negative 30? 25, my car starts up really nice, she purrs. Negative 30, she clicks a little bit and I'm praying that it turns and starts. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like 25 degrees, I might not even wear a jacket, I'm good in a sweatshirt, I'm a Minnesotan. Negative 30 degrees, 
I can't put on enough layers. It is so freaking cold. Okay, what am I trying to get at? That if the weather app didn't show you a number, the weather app would not be very effective. The gospel without being proclaimed with words is not a very effective gospel. The gospel has to be proclaimed. So if you're wondering why your roommate or your parents or your best friend isn't a Christian and you're like, well, I do all the right things. I tell them I go to church and sometimes I tell them I go to salt company and every once in a while I do their dishes and I'm just not understanding why they're not a Christian yet, but you've never told them about Jesus, that might be one of the problems. Because the gospel is a proclaimed gospel. It's not just a displayed gospel. But okay, let's just take a second back up. Um, Guys, this room, can we just be encouraged by this room? This room is full of people who want to hear a proclaimed gospel. Amen? Okay, that was like, again, like four people are excited that there is a room full of people on the University of Minnesota who want to hear the proclaimed gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on. Gosh, that's encouraging. I need some encouragement today. (laughs) Okay, okay. All right. Second element of gospel movement. We're just going to keep going. Second element of gospel movement is that the gospel is received with power. Because it says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. So what what kind of power are we talking about? Let's look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The power is to turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Why is that power? Because it is not natural for anyone in the room to give up idols in order to worship God including myself. It is not a natural instinct for Colin to wake up and to turn from idols to God, right? But if we want to see gospel movement happen, we have to be a people that live in the power to turn from idols to the true and living God. So you're like, okay, I'm not worshiping Caesar. I think I'm probably good. Okay, so here's the issue is that... um, is that anything that we devote ourselves to worship or praise that is not God himself is idolatry. It is idol worship. And if we go back to Acts 17, it says they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Right? And, and here's the thing, we love to amen to King Jesus, Right? We love King Jesus, but the issue is that we're a little more like the people of Thessalonica than we'd like to be. What do do I mean by that? Is that we like a Jesus and the life I'm living right now gospel. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say 
They worshipped Caesar and also started worshipping Jesus. It says they gave up worshipping Caesar. They threw out idols and they worshipped a new king, Jesus. What they used to give their attention to no longer gets their attention. What they used to devote themselves to, they no longer devote themselves to. What they used to put like consuming energy in, thought and heart energy into, they're no longer doing that because they found something better. That's what it's saying. So Saul, come here. What are you worshiping and praising and devoting yourself to that is not God himself? Maybe it's your classes or a job or a future job. Maybe it's future financial goals or a relationship or a future relationship. Because here's what gospel power is, is gospel power is not the power to live that life with Jesus. It's the power to give up that life to live with Jesus. But we are all, including myself, so prone to a Jesus and the life I used to live gospel. I want a big house. I want lots of money. I want to drive a super nice car. I want to have a ginormous bank account. And I want to be a part of gospel movement. I want to retire early because I worked 90 hours a week for like a bunch of years. And I want to be a part of gospel movement. I want to continue to, to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'll, I'll worry about that part of following Jesus after I get married. But I want to be a part of gospel movement now too. I'm going to keep getting drunk on the weekends, but I also kind of want to be a part of gospel movement on Thursday nights, because that seems cool. Guys, that is not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is to leave that life behind you and to pursue a better life with Jesus. Gospel movement starts to take place when we give up completely our old life. When we give up completely our old, old life, here's what people who want to be a part of gospel movement say. I'm going to reorient my entire life. I'm going to reorient my entire life towards God. I'm going to correctly place God on the throne of my heart that he rightly deserves in every facet of my life. And I'm going to look to do that every single day because I want to see gospel movement take place. I want to see gospel movement happen in me and I want to see gospel movement happen around me. Guys, those things that came to mind are not worth living for, I promise you. I promise you they are not worth living for. And here's the other issue is that it is so inconsistent to say you want to see gospel movement take place and then you don't live like you believe that there's a better life with Jesus. It's so inconsistent. The holiness of our lives should reflect the holiness of the God that we serve. It's inconsistent to say, I want to see the God of the Bible move radically without radically moving towards the life the God of the Bible calls us to. We have 
to, we have to try to live consistent lives because people are drawn to what we worship with our lives, not just what we worship with our mouths or what we worship or who we worship on Thursday nights. God's people, excuse me, people are drawn to what we worship with our lives and it's inconsistent to say one thing and do another. Okay, here's, here's how I thought about this. Um, so I'm married recently, some of you know that. Uh, after my honeymoon, I decided I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to get healthy. Okay, so Fridays, my wife works, I do not. I do grocery shopping on Fridays. I go to Aldi. Aldi's great. You guys should shop at Aldi. It's so cheap. So cheap. Someone gets it. It's so awesome. Okay, here's the issue with Aldi. You pull into Aldi, you get the cart. You put your quarter in the cart. That's how you get your cart at Aldi. Some of you are like, I have no idea what this dude's talking about. If you know, you know. Um, First thing you see when you get to Aldi, the potato chips, the jalapeno potato chips at Aldi, so freaking good. I mean, unbelievably good. Okay, here's the issue. Not just one bag ends up in my cart. Always two, sometimes three. Okay, here's the other issue. Uh, for our wedding, we got this new blender. I love our new blender. It's so good. Okay, we're like, my wife and I are like, hey, we should use our new blender. What's the most natural thing to make in a blender? Oreo shakes, obviously. <laughs> um, so what, what's the issue with what I'm saying is I want to get healthy, but I want to use my blender for Oreo shakes, and I really love all the jalapeno potato chips. What I say with my mouth is not what I live with my life. What you, is what you worship with your mouth, what you worship with your life. What are you worshiping with your time and with your energy? What are you worshiping with your entire life? Because here's the thing, is what we worship with our lives is actually the movement that we're a part of. What we worship with our lives is actually the movement we, we're a part of. So if your life reflects, the more I achieve, the more valuable I am. If that's what your life reflects, then you're part of a movement called the American Dream. If your life reflects, the more I care for myself and the more pleasure I pursue, the better my life will be. Here's the movement you're a part of, is the movement of self-actualization. Like I just need to make myself a little bit better. If you're a part of a movement where it's just more, 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 more clothes, more shoes, more of anything that makes me look cool, here's the movement you're a part of. Movement of consumerism. The things that we worship with our lives are actually the movements that we're a part of. So, what do you worship with your life? What movement are you actually a part of? Now, I want to give you guys some air for just a second. Uh, I know I've just been yelling at you guys for like 20 straight minutes. I'm aware. Self-awareness. It's good. Um, okay. So, if you guys are like feeling conviction like specific conviction, like things are coming to mind. Like, ah, oh, I, I am like that. Like that is actually what I worship with my life. I do worship relationship or I do worship money or I do worship power or a job. Here's what I have for you is that's actually really good news because specific conviction is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. So if you're like feeling like, ah, oh, that, that's getting at me, that's evidence of life, not evidence of death. And part of 
walking in holiness as humans, right? Because we can't be perfect. We can't be perfect. Part of walking in holiness as humans is owning when we stray, owning when we worship something else, owning when we aren't obedient and confessing it. That's part of holiness in the Christian life. And it's not only confessing it, it's repenting of it. It's saying, I don't want to live like that anymore because I have gospel power to not just live a Jesus and my own life, but to live a Jesus and it replaces my old life. That's gospel power. And here's what some of you are thinking. There's no way, absolutely no way, a student that goes to the University of Minnesota could live a life like that without people thinking they're absolutely psycho. I went to the University of Minnesota. I love the Gophers. Um, And here's what I have to say to you. You are absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. There's no way you can live a holy life. Live the life I'm talking about without people looking at you and being like, you are a crazy weirdo that needs to figure out how to have fun. Because that's how people will look at you. But here's what I have to say is that's actually evidence of gospel movement because the third characteristic of gospel movement is received with conviction. So what do I mean by conviction? I mean that you are convinced that the life of obedience is worth it. That the life of worshiping the true and living God is worth it. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 and 6. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. The church at Thessalonica received the gospel at great cost to themselves. They received the word in much affliction but with joy. What did it cost them? It cost them their dignity. It cost them their wealth. In in Acts 17, Jason is dragged to the middle of the town square and taken, all his money is taken from him. Okay? It cost them comfort. And for many, throughout your Bible and throughout Christian history, it cost them their lots. Why do people die for the gospel? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why do people die for the gospel? It's because they're convinced that it's worth it. It's because they're convinced that living a holy life is worth it. So when you're treated weird, when you're called the weirdo, when you're like, yo, you need to loosen up, you need to have some fun, you're not doing something wrong, you're probably doing something right. Here's what I'm not giving you permission to do. I'm Disclaimer. Don't be the Christian that doesn't love people because you're not being obedient if you're not loving people, okay? So don't be the Christian that's like, you're all sinners and I've figured out my life. That's not Christianity, so that's, don't do that. Okay, that was my one disclaimer. Um, so guys, are you like, is that true of you? Are people looking at you and saying, yeah, you're kind of odd. You're kind of a weirdo. Why do people call people weirdos? Because they don't live the way that everyone else lives. This room, like if this room wants to be serious about gospel movement, there is no way this room should look like the rest of the University of Minnesota campus. Absolutely none. 
right? It, it can't. Because the way the University of Minnesota lives, like the average student lives, is so far from the way the Bible calls us to live. It's just an, a worse life. It's a worse life that they're telling you is a better life. And some of you actually know what it's like to, to follow Jesus at a great cost. Like some of you really get this. Like your parents are like, you, wh- what do you do on Thursday nights? Here's what I have to say to you. Keep going. Like just be convinced that it's worth it because it is. Some of you are like your roommate. Like it's really hard to love your roommate because they absolutely hate that you're a Christian. Here's what I have to say to you. Keep going. It's worth it. Like some of you are living this out. And here's the encouragement that I have for you. That I have for you who are are experiencing that it's really hard to follow Jesus. Is throughout Christian history when it's most hard to follow Jesus, the most prominent gospel movement takes place. Why? Why does prominent gospel movement take place when it's really hard to follow Jesus? Because people are convinced that it's worth it. Like, if it is life or death, like I'm picking life or death if I'm following Jesus, and I'm picking following Jesus that's putting me towards death, I am so convinced that following Jesus is worth it. So guys, when people are like, yo, you are a weirdo, you don't conform to the life that they want you to live, but see that the gospel might actually just be moving in that situation. And keep going, be convinced that it's worth it. So, so what happens when inevitably tomorrow you wake up and you're no longer convinced that following Jesus is worth it? Right? Because that happens all the time. You come to Salt Summit, you come to network night, you come on Thursday nights and you're like, my life's never going to be the same. I'm going to change because following Jesus is worth it. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, I don't want to read my Bible and I don't want to be obedient because following Jesus doesn't feel worth it. Anyone else experience that? I mean, I experience that all the time, right? Like, my life's never going to be the same. And then you wake up and it's hard. What happens when it gets hard? You pray. You pray. You plead with God. Here's the fourth characteristic of gospel movement. So the gospel movement is received with the Spirit. So I, I don't mean to diminish what I've said earlier, but this is what's important. Th- this is it. Like this is of primary importance is that the gospel movement is received with the Spirit of God. God himself needs to show up to do gospel movement work. When you become a Christian, you don't just get a new God to worship, but a new life to live. Because God himself comes to live in you. We don't stop often enough as Christians, because that's like cliche Christian lingo. We don't stop often enough as Christians to recognize just how wild that truth is. That God lives in us. The implications of that are crazy. Crazy. God lives in you when you put your faith in Jesus. So if you want to see God change your life, or if you want to see God change your family, or if you want to see God change this campus, you have to realize that you have no power to do that work, but that it is only God's work in you that will do that. Which means you have to plead with God. 
You have to see that his spirit is what's going to change people. So you have to get on your knees and you have to beg God to move. You have to beg God to move. Move in your life to get rid of idols. You have to beg God to move on behalf of your roommate so your roommate becomes a Christian. You have to beg God to move on this campus if you want to see this room get bigger. You have to beg God to move. Because when we, we don't see gospel movement by flexing our spiritual muscles, we don't see gospel movement by, by proving that we have it all together, by living holy lives out of our own strength. God doesn't bless our attempts at holiness. He gives us his holiness through life with him. That's gospel movement. We need to beg God to move because we have no power to do it on our own. Because gospel movement is received with the Spirit. All right, guys, I'm going um, to level with you guys a little bit. Uh, the rest of my notes were a really, what I thought was compelling reason that this room could change the world. Which we've done a lot with Salt Summit and um, Network Night. Uh, but I think God actually has something different for us tonight. So I just came from, well, let me back up to the beginning of my day. I woke up beginning of my day and went to my grandma's funeral. Um, then my phone was off during my grandma's funeral. I turn my phone on. I get flooded with notifications that a girl that goes to St. Thomas Tuesday night was killed in a car crash that had been to Salt Company. So someone that was a part of our Salt Company family died in a car crash on Tuesday night. So in that moment, I realized, okay, God, what, where do you want me to go? Like, what, what do you have? So I wanted to give you this really huge vision that this room could change the world. But here's what I want to do instead, is I want you to understand why gospel movement matters. I want you to understand why living a holy life matters. Okay, first, why living a holy life matters. Why does turning from idols matter? Because you have no idea when God is going to call you home. Because you have no guarantee of tomorrow, and I do not want to see you guys waste your life living for really meaningless things. It's not worth it. Don't live it up in college and then maybe get your Christian act together when you graduate. Don't live it up in college and then live it up until you get married. It's not worth it. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed your dream wedding. You're not guaranteed your dream job. You're not guaranteed a big enough bank account that you don't need to worry about money anymore. It's just not guaranteed. And it's not worth living for. You have no control over tomorrow. Here's, here's, the reason, here's the second reason why gospel movement matters. It's because the person next to you isn't guaranteed tomorrow. And the person you go home and live with isn't guaranteed tomorrow. And the family members that you say, maybe one day I'll share the gospel with them, they're not guaranteed tomorrow. Gospel movement matters because people matter and people have souls. So here's a hard truth 
I guess people aren't going to class anymore, but Zoom works. Everyone you see on your Zoom call, everyone has an eternity or a soul that's going to spend an eternity somewhere. So when you jump from class to class to class, those aren't just like objects on a screen that don't matter. They're people with souls that are going to spend an eternity somewhere. Why does gospel movement matter is because your campus is full of souls that are going to spend their eternity somewhere. And a lot of them are living lives that aren't worth living for. And if you know the gospel, you know the key to life itself. You know a life that's worth living. You know the good life. Even if it doesn't always feel like it, you know the good life. You know a life that you're so convinced of living that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Gospel movement matters. And we have proof that gospel movement matters and that it works because the tomb of Jesus is empty. We know gospel movement matters and gospel movement works because Jesus has risen and is reigning. So guys, live your life like gospel movement matters. Live your life, live a life that's worth living for. Turn from the things that do not matter to the only person that does, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray for that. Yeah, God, that's hard and weighty, and I'm, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling for Erica and Erica's family. Um, yeah, Erica's friends, as she passed away on Tuesday night. I mean, that's, yeah, it could have been any one of us. God, it could have been. any one of us, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So God, help me live a life that's worth living. And when I don't feel it tomorrow, bring me to my knees so that I would plead you to move in my heart. When I don't feel it the day after that, bring me to my knees and help me to plead with you that it's worth it. Help me to see people in this room and on this campus as souls. Help me to Go on my knees on behalf of them. Plead that they would come to know you. Plead that they, they would come to know the source of life. God, we need you. We know gospel movement will not take place if you don't show up. So come, fill this place with your spirit. Fill this place with gospel power. Fill this place with a spirit of repentance to leave the old life behind and pursue pursue a new life of following and worshiping you. God, help us to do that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.